Hello, everyone, and welcome to Think Yourself Healthy podcast. I'm your host, Heather Duranja. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy, I have special guest, Anne-Marie Bonneau. She is a cookbook author, speaker, blogger, fermenter, and sourdough baker. Anne-Marie went plastic-free in 2011 after learning about plastics' devastating impacts on our oceans and their inhabitants. She shows others how reducing their trash not only benefits the planet, but also satisfies their taste buds, improves their well-being, and boosts their bank account. Wow, what a fabulous bio, Anne. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thanks, Heather. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about you and what happened in 2011 that kind of really woke you up to the, you know, issues that we have here in, um, well, in the United States and then just really worldwide. Yeah, well, I started reading about plastic pollution in the oceans and I had no idea that plastic was going in the ocean. I thought the things I put in the recycling bin got made into new things. And, you know, I knew plastic was bad, but I thought, well, you know, it's, it's being recycled. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all been kind of duped. So how so, did you discover you were being duped? Well, I, I guess the first thing that happened was I read about this catamaran that these environmentalists built and they sailed it from San Francisco, just north of me to Sydney, Australia. They built it out of waste materials, including 12,500 plastic bottles. Wow. So those, those were the like flotation uh, devices, I guess. Uh, so they did that to raise awareness about plastic pollution. Wow. And so that, that caught my attention and I started reading about it and I was horrified. Like everybody is horrified. Back then there wasn't, I think it was just starting to come to light. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there was a lot of attention or, or at least I, I hadn't read anything about it. So uh, yeah, I read that and I told my daughter, my older daughter, she was 16 at the time. I said, we have to get off of plastic. This is terrible. You know, I don't want to play a part in this. As long as I'm alive, I, I will, because there are things in the supply chain that I don't see, you know, mm-hmm. so, but I can cut what I can. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's how it started. And then I kind of noticed all the waste. Most of it is plastic. I mean, if you just focus on plastic, you're going to cut so much waste, mm-hmm. but food waste is also a huge problem. So I learned few years after that, a couple of years after that, that up to 40% of the food produced in the U.S. goes uneaten. I think yeah. that number has improved a little bit, but it's still, you know, high 30, high 30s. So Abs- crazy. Absolutely. I, I myself, and I want to say it was either 2007 or 2008, I wrote an entire research project on food waste in the United States and how we could solve world hunger with just what we throw away in the U.S. And I think, you know, which is, it's really frightening and alarming to consider, but for, for me, when I did this research project, one of the things that really shocked me was that the reason we have so much food waste is due to the fear of being sued. And this is why Mm -hmm. a lot of the companies, um, you know, grocery stores and bakeries and whatnot, uh, they have locks on their, their dumpsters that are just literally loaded with food, uneaten food that, um, is on, you know, the verge of, of going. And it, that was really frightening to me. Like, wow, what a sick problem. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's absolutely absurd. Meanwhile, I think at the end of 2020, something like 49 million Americans experienced food insecurity in 2020. Yeah, that's, that's, it's really sad. It's, 
it's devastating. It's, it's really a shame to, I, I've had a lot of fun doing all kinds of different research projects in schools. I did a whole food waste project in um, elementary school and oh wow, literally collected, well, it was hundreds of pounds of food waste. And um, it was just, you know, there's just so much goes into the trash can. It's just insane. It is insane. So tell me how you ended up becoming the zero food waste cook. How did this happen? Uh, well, so I'm a, I'm a big foodie and so are my kids. Um, when we decided to go plastic free, my older daughter did a plastic waste audit for several weeks. I think 16 weeks or something crazy like that. She was really into it. And now she works in waste management. So, okay. Um, so she did this waste audit and every week she would take a picture of all the plastic we had accumulated for the week. And then we could see, Oh, look, we're throwing out this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. And we realized, Oh, it's all coming from the kitchen. Most of it, you know, and even if you're a, a huge minimalist who mm -hmm. can fit your 12 belongings, in your backpack you still have to eat right <laughs> so yeah so food was seemed like the best place to start mm. because that's I mean that's where all the and we weren't buying a lot of highly processed food but you know we still bought a few things and a few packaged things and we just started making more things from scratch mm -hmm. so then Mary Catherine she was 16 started her blog back then the plastic free chef and then when she went away to school in Canada, we're, we're Canadian, um, she found it really hard to keep up in university. So I said to her, well, can I, can I take over? Because I loved her blog. I mean, it was great. People loved it. And she said, uh, no, start your own blog. <laughs> so I started mine and I thought of different names. And actually the one I toyed with was Lost Knowledge. Mm. Because... I mean, we have forgotten to do all of these things that our, our grandparents or great grandparents knew how to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, it's a, there are many complex reasons for that. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, so I, yeah, I toyed with that. And then I thought, well, why don't I just do zero waste shop? Cause it's going to be food. So that's how, that's how it came about. I love it. And you are so right. It's kind of crazy to think about how just a matter of five, six, seven decades, we have completely lost our way in touch with what our ancestors did in order to preserve and sustain earth as well as, you know, human existence. So in your opinion, where do you feel things kind of started to go downhill? Where did the shift happen where we just started consuming in such excess and just everything became so, you know, we can just dis discard anything anymore. People, yeah. you know, they, you pick up a, well, I'll just go get a new iPhone. It's like, well, <laughs> what? So yeah. what, what's, yeah. what's your take on it? Uh, let's see. Well, I think throwaway culture started around the fifties. Mm -hmm. There's that photo in life magazine of a, of a housewife throwing all of these single use items up to, into the air with a huge smile on her face. And it was going to be so wonderful. And now we look back at that and just shudder. Yeah. So I, I think in the fifties, it really took off. And then, um, I believe it was in the late 50s I'd have to look it up but there was a bottle bill in Vermont to make the the canning companies the bottlers refill their bottles and it was going to cost these businesses a lot of money mm -hmm. so they got together and they killed it they killed the bottle bill and they formed a group that is now called today um Keep America beautiful. Okay. That's it. Yeah. So they had the crying Indian ad mm -hmm. in the seventies and it was all to push the onus of cleanup onto consumers. 
So they came up with the term litter bug and they had all these ads on TV and everywhere blaming people for litter. Wow. You know, look at the mess you're making just so that they could shirk responsibility. Mm-hmm. And then it's just gotten worse and worse. Yeah. It's... Uh, each decade it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, so, but I think that's where it started. And, you know, it's complicated. Like the stuff does make life very convenient, mm-hmm. but a lot of the food that is packaged in all this plastic is it's not, it's not real food. No. Right? It's this, this Western diet now global that's mm-hmm. making people sick. Also right. a few people at the top can, can rake in record profits. It's, I mean, it's the, it's the whole food system. Yeah. So yeah, I think plastic makes our modern food system possible mm-hmm. to, to a big degree. Cause how else would you ship highly processed food, like stuff all over the place and, you know, shelf stable and Right. Anyway, I forget your question. I'm like, oh, it's a, no, you're, a, you're doing a fabulous ranty job. Ta- ranty tangent. No, you're, you're doing a fabulous job, fabulous job, you know, describing where it all went wrong. And I agree with you, you know, big food, um, really has created a very broken system that has destroyed the health and well-being of of the family the family unit in so many ways um and people don't seem to really recognize what a catastrophe we are really in and that we're going to have to make some really massive shifts in our consuming ways very, very soon. I mean, in my opinion, it's already, you know, quite past when we should have gotten started with doing things differently um, because it's coming at the expense of our health and well-being and the planet's health and well-being. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the the food system is just a complete mess. Well, it amazes me, you know, I have conversations with people all the time and I am very much against refined processed foods. I, you know, it's dead food. It, it has no nutrient value. It doesn't contain any water. There's no vitamins and minerals. Everything is removed, the fiber, all of the good things. And then just synthetic chemicals are pumped back into yeah. these. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I, it just, to me, it's like, okay, you know, we've all been through a drive-through, pulled out the French fry, one slips underneath the seat. And then six months later, we're rummaging for something (laughs) and we pull out that French fry and it hasn't altered its appearance in any way whatsoever. And, you know, it's frightening to me to think, okay, well, if this stuff isn't degrading underneath the seat, exposed to oxygen, what do you think's happening inside our body? Like, and then right. you take all of the chemicals that these foods are wrapped up in and the plastic that's used. My husband is from Italy and he really brought a lot of awareness to me around um, everything is in a package. You know, the lettuce is in a package. Everything is in plastic. And he's like, it's all cancerous. You know, when, when these foods are sitting in these highly toxic plastic bags and they're being exposed from different climate to different climate. What do you think is happening? They're leaching into the food and then we're consuming it. And it's, it's frightening. It's like, Oh yeah. wow, that's something to really think about. Yeah. Really yeah, we're consuming. We're consuming also the little microplastics. Mm-hmm. A yeah. credit card's worth a week. I know the average person. Isn't that crazy? It's just so crazy. And we wonder why disease is so prevalent. So how do, how do we start changing this? How, you know, for the person listening right now, who maybe has never given it much thought in terms of what their contribution to the, the waste in the world looks like, how do they bring awareness to themselves around what they're consuming and waste actually looks like? How do they get started? Well, I mean, well, first of all, start by knowing it's not your fault. You know, we didn't create this crazy system that Mm -hmm. we're all born into. So, you know, don't feel guilty 
you did not create this supply chain. Yeah. So but, great advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's all the big corporations that have, have done this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, but if you want to, if you want to get started, uh, I would say start with food because you have to eat and chances are a lot of the waste is coming from your kitchen. And also there's no downside to reducing food waste. Mm -hmm. There, there really is none. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. You, you'll save money. You'll shop less often because you'll, you know, you're going to eat all the food you have. Mm -hmm. The average American family of four throws away about $1,800 worth of food every year. So it's wow. a huge amount of money. So I, if you, if you start with food waste, you'll also cut down on packaging waste. Mm -hmm. Because if you eat, you know, if you have a loaf of bread and you eat the whole thing, then you won't go and buy a loaf of bread when you still have half loaf left mm -hmm. in a plastic bag. So you bring less food, less plastic into your home. What I always tell people to do is shop your kitchen first. So before you go grocery shopping, look at what you have on hand and then let that determine what you're going to cook next. Mm -hmm. And if, if you do that regularly, you'll save a fortune. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know what to make, you can always make soup. <laughs> I mean, as long, if you have an onion, if you have an onion and water and a couple of other random ingredients, you can make a pot of soup. Absolutely. So then let me ask you this question, because as a dietitian, here's one of the barriers that I, I see quite prevalent amongst individuals. They were not taught how to cook. No one in their home modeled grandma, mom, they were too busy with their full-time jobs, you know, working 10 to 12 hour days and so families became very dependent upon fast food and boxes of cereal and pastry stoodles and cans of soup and hamburger helper and all of these, you know, quick, convenient type of um, food items. So for me, when I recommend or suggest to someone that they should start self-preparing their own meals, they look at me with this just this fear-based, you know, expression of, <gasps> I don't even know where to begin. I don't know how to cook. No one showed me. So there's a lot of intimidation and insecurity about getting into the kitchen. Many don't even possess the basic skills of how to peel and, and, and slice something. So what kind of advice do you have for the listeners whom have maybe never once prepared a single item for themselves and have only been dependent on getting their things through the fast food and convenience food market? Where do they start? How do we ease this intimidation? Wow. Yeah, that's, that's really hard, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of cooking shows and cooking competitions do a real disservice to people Yeah, because they look at that and they think, oh, that, that's what I, that's what cooking is. Mm -hmm. They think, but it doesn't have to be anything fancy, just something simple. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. fresh, simple ingredients. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not going to look like what you see on TV and on blogs and, <laughs> You know, it's just, and it doesn't matter. It's fine. You mean all of this stuff out there isn't like our Instagram profile? Come on. Are you kidding me? Well, when I worked on my cookbook, I had a, a fabulous photographer. And she tried to keep it simple and approachable. And, you know, she, it, my pictures aren't like food porn. Mm -hmm. I, I think they're just nice pictures. You look at them and you go, oh yeah, I could make that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what she was going for. I think she did a great job. But the night she sent this one group of photos, uh, I had made the rest one recipe for dinner. And I showed my daughter and we looked at my pot of food and we just started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Hers looked so much better. I mean, it tasted delicious. Yeah. But- 
Yeah, you know, it's really crazy. Everything, everything has a, a beauty standard attached to it. Even our, even our meals. Yeah, it, I it's, agree. It's also, it's also that, you know, it, it's all to make us feel bad and keep consuming. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're, if you're content, you're, it's harder to sell a content person more stuff. Absolutely. So I make them feel insecure. So yeah, I would say just start with something really simple and yeah. and maybe just try one meal a day. Mm-hmm. Maybe it will just be breakfast. Yeah. Try to make yourself a breakfast that doesn't come out of a box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are great tips. And those are some of the things that I encourage individuals to start with. You know, maybe it's just starting with like some sort of breakfast smoothie where you're actually incorporating some fresh vegetables and fruits, maybe some nut milks, some plant-based protein, or maybe something like, you know, yogurt or something um, where it's not a whole lot of tools needed. You can throw it all into one blender and push the blend button and then, after doing this, you know, for a few days, it starts to get easier and easier. And in my opinion, I think it's all about consistency. You have to really get in there and attempt, let go of the expectation for this perfectly curated, you know, final product. That's just not realistic. I had a, um, a client send me a picture of some coconut pancakes that she attempted <laughs> to make and she can't do eggs. So we're substituting ground flax and water to try and, you know, Mm -hmm. be the binder to hold it together. And it looked like a big pile of poop. (laughs) I was like, and she was so funny because she was like, well, in terms of texture, you know, it was pretty mushy. It didn't look, I mean, it literally looked like a big old, you know, blob of poop. But she said the flavor was amazing. And I said, that's all that matters. And as you keep attempting to make those pancakes, you will find that they will get easier to make and they eventually will, you know. Yeah. And also, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's a lot of trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can try and make it fun, you know, like I find what I described before, how you shop the fridge first, Mm -hmm. it turns it into a game because you think, oh, what can I make with? what I find in here. And then you come up with really, really delicious meals. Yeah. And it's very satisfying to cook that way. Absolutely. You know, it's funny that you mentioned this because this morning I was looking in the freezer and the refrigerator and I'm like, okay, what do I have? All right. I've got some beef tips. I've got some onion. I've got water. I've got some fresh spices. I'm like, okay, there's enough basics there to, to get started and, and make, create something that will at least be tasty. And, um, I don't have to run out to the grocery store to pick up, you know, one item to complete the meal. I'll do the best I can with what I have available to me. Just like my lunch today, my lunch was a hodgepodge of some lettuce, some lentils, some beets, sunflower seeds, a little goat cheese, some leftover tuna fish. It was a fabulous salad. Took me less than two minutes to assemble, you know? That Um, sounds delicious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love making salads like that. I, I, I like to always have some cooked beans or Mm -hmm. lentils in the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. And then I, I grow sprouts on the counter. Okay. So like having those in there and I make homemade red wine vinegar. Ooh, it's so good, which, you know, you don't have to do. You know, if you're intimidated, don't, don't worry about that. Just right. use 11. <laughs> right. So when um, you, when you're doing your beans, are you using, are you starting with dried beans? Is that how you. Yeah. 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 Oh, they taste really good. Yeah. Dry, dried beans. I soak them overnight or, or well for chickpeas, I'll soak them for maybe six hours. That's all they need. And then okay. I put them in my pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. As soon as it comes to pressure, they're done. And okay. I, I turn the heat off. And I usually put a, I forgot my husband was complaining this morning. I forgot to put the kombu in. I put a little strip of kombu in for gas. It helps. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And he said, oh, I think you forgot that this time. <laughs> so where do you get the kombu? Where, where can you find that? Well, in San Francisco, uh, I can get it in bulk at Rainbow Grocery. Okay. 
but you should be able to get it in let's see maybe an asian grocery store okay whole foods might have it okay right. yeah yeah so it's just it's a type of is it kelp i think it's a type of kelp okay and it, it helps reduce gas i don't have a problem with it but and neither does my younger daughter but uh anyway some people do yeah. Well, what I find also is that part of the reason people don't tolerate the legumes, the beans, the lentils as well. And, you know, they tend to get gassy is because they just don't have them frequently mm -hmm. enough. And so we can't break down that outer husk of, you know, the bean or the legume. Um, and so when we're not eating these often, we're not producing the enzymes efficiently that are necessary to help assist with breaking them down, fermenting them, letting the microbiome in our gut do their job. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of times, you know, I just encourage people start with small quantities, you know, have a quarter cup to a half a cup, and then a couple days, two, three days, have it again, and another two to three days, have it again. And, and what we usually find is that most people tend to tolerate them a lot better when they're consuming them more frequently. But the mistake most people have or make is they have the beans, they get gassy and they're like, oh, that gave me gas. I can't have them. Yeah, and so yeah, not six months and then they'll try it again and they'll be like, oh, there's that gas again. Can't do it. So in my opinion, I think it's just lack of exposure and efficiency on our digestive systems and just exposing a little more frequently helps to really take care of that problem. That makes sense. Yeah. And digestive yeah. bitters can be another great addition after, you know, you've had beans and you tend to recognize that maybe it creates a little gas for you. Just doing a few drops of digestive bitters can be very beneficial at reducing mm. that bloating and gas as well. Hey guys, I'm going to interrupt this episode for a really brief message and to introduce you to today's amazing podcast sponsors, WaveBlock. If you know me, you know that I am all about reducing toxicity. And to be perfectly honest with you, this whole 5G thing has got me a little freaked out. Did you know that your phone and AirPods emit radiation? According to the CDC, your phone uses radio frequency radiation to transmit its signal. This cloud of radiation just sits outside your brain the entire time you're using your phone or on your AirPods. If you listen to podcasts, talk on your phone, do Zoom calls all day, that exposure really starts to add up. The frequencies from your phone actually pass through your brain, which is really scary and can cause negative effects like headaches, foggy brain, fatigue, and other issues. I love using my WaveBlock EMF protective stickers for my phone and AirPods to direct these harmful frequencies away from my body and my brain. WaveBlock's accredited lab-tested line of products helps significantly reduce the amount of radiation you are getting exposed to with their easy-to-apply EMF blocking stickers. They have protection for AirPods, AirPod Pros, and all of the recent iPhone models. These stickers don't interfere with anything, so you can still use your phone case or whatever it is that you like. They just offer all-day protection. Make sure you head to waveblock.com and take advantage of a 20% discount using the code Heather. I'll make sure to link it in the show notes for easy access. So make sure you head to waveblock.com to get your 20% off discount and use the code Heather. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, so tell me what some of your kitchen staples are. What if we were to walk into your kitchen right now yeah. and open the pantry, what are the non-negotiables? What are the things there that are the basic necessities you can create a delicious, nutritious meal from oh. any day? Okay. Well, I have to have beans, dried beans, dried, so dried chickpeas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I, when I get low on chickpeas, I get a little nervous. So, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, dried lentils. Do you have yeah, a... Uh, particular favorite dried lentil is that you like the yellows the greens the browns uh i like green green uh -huh. and brown okay uh, I, I like red and they cook quickly but but i prefer the green okay yeah. but they're more sturdy mm -hmm. it's just a personal preference i'm with you most of the ones i get are the green ones yeah, yeah. i've become and pretty 
I've become pretty obsessed with, um, having lentils. It's pretty much a staple in the house and either make some quinoa or some rice to go with it. Um, super quick, easy, very inexpensive and very, you know, healthy, very nutritious protein, plant-based protein that can be added in to help support GI function. Oh yeah. I mean, if you have some, yeah, just like you, what you had for lunch, if you have some cooked lentils and, and a grain cooked grain mm-hmm. and maybe some roasted beets. I mean, you're all set. Yeah. You just assemble mm-hmm. that with a few other things and yeah, it's delicious. It's yes. so healthy. So you're not using the aluminum canned beans or lentils. No, 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 no uh, dried. I mean, well, they, they're really inexpensive. Mm-hmm. I can get them at the bulk store. I take, Oh, I have them right next to me. <laughs> I was sewing. Oh, fabulous. Um, yeah, these are my little cloth produce bags. They're just okay. thin. This was an old duvet. Anyway, so I take my cloth bags with me to the bulk mm-hmm. bins and fill them up. Super easy. How do you and store them when you bring them home? How do you store them? Well, I have, I eat so many chickpeas that I have a, a really big jar they're for flour you know the jars yeah. with the big wide lid I, yep. I have some for flour also but I have one just for chickpeas because okay. we, I buy so many of them so okay. usually I just leave them in the cloth bag okay I mean it depends sometimes I buy them in glass jars but usually in cloth bags um so kind of I guess half and half some are in jars some are in cloth bags okay. so you have to have those and then I have to have baking supplies. I have to have flour. I have now, if you start down this path, don't feel that you have to do what I'm about to describe, <laughs> but um, I have a hand cranked grain mill and an electric grain mill. And so I love grinding up my own flour. <laughs> it love- tastes so good. Most it's- people listening are probably like, wait, what? She just said, wait, what? Grinding her grind- own flour? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's really delicious though. Uh, my sourdough starter loves it. I don't use 100% ground flour or like home ground flour in my bread because it will make a super dense loaf. Okay. But I, so I had about, the last time I baked bread, I put in about 20% and okay. milk. So I still buy, I still buy flour. Okay. And don't, don't feel like you have to go out and buy a grain mill, but I do <laughs> love to have wheat berries on hand and, and they taste delicious cooked. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about wheat berries. I get asked a lot of questions. How, what do you do with wheat berries? How do you use them in your you know recipes? So can you give the listeners some tips on how you use wheat berries? Well, okay. Aside from grinding them up, mm-hmm. uh, you can cook them kind of like you cook rice. I have a recipe in my book with emmer, emmer wheat, Mm -hmm. and they kind of look like rice. I never noticed them at the store in the bulk section until I started all of this. Mm -hmm. And then I I saw them and realized, oh, I I can make flour out of those. But uh, yeah, I have a really yummy salad in my book. It has, oh, farro, sorry. Uh Farro is the same thing. Or there are three types of farro, I think. But anyway. Um, you, you cook it and it's this yummy, chewy kind of nutty grain. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, there's more to it than rice, but it's about the same size as, as short grain rice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just cook it and you can toss it in a salad. Mm -hmm. Um, really yummy. Yeah. And it's also a great source of protein. It has a lot higher protein content than something like rice. So great alternative. Yeah. And delicious. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And filling too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Protein and fiber. Those are very, you know, beneficial nutrients to include in our meals to help keep us feeling fuller for longer and stabilizing blood sugars. And unfortunately with most of the foods, people are choosing fast food, these convenience, you know, refined processed food, they lack the protein, they lack the fiber, they lack all of the, the nutrients that are going to keep us satiated 
And unfortunately, um, this is why we're constantly going to the pantry or the refrigerator looking for the snack every 20 minutes because we're not feeling that sense of fulfillment. Right. Yeah, it's really, it, it, it's criminal. The, yeah. The, it, the stuff that, the, the, you know, the bad food that's subsidized instead of the healthy stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a shame. A friend of my friend and I went, we took a road trip last week and we went to Tucson and we self-prepared our meals ahead of time and literally brought everything that we needed. It wasn't a, it wasn't a lot of work. It wasn't a lot of, um, it took up a lot of space. It was very, you know, quick, easy meals that we were able to just heat up or eat cold And we did not have to eat out one time over the entire four days that we were gone, came back, had almost no waste left. Mm. We literally went through, I think we had maybe four apples still left over and like a half a bag of raw almonds, but that was it. And it was so rewarding to bring back our glass containers that we had everything stored in. We know we did overnight oats. We did a, um, Yeah. I mean, just really easy. We did lentils and rice. We had another like kind of like a Mexican dish with um, some ground beef and a bunch of vegetables and rice and some homemade seasoning. And it was just really rewarding sitting there eating our food out of our glass containers, knowing that we weren't pumping a bunch of chemicals into our body that, you know, also polluting the earth. It just, it felt really rewarding, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a much nicer way to, to eat. It is, but so many people are intimidated because they just don't have any experience. They don't know where to get started. So, um, you mentioned that you have a cookbook. So can you tell the audience a little bit about your cookbook and, and how this came to life? Oh, sure. Well, uh, so I started my blog uh, in 2014. Mary Catherine started hers, my my daughter, in 2011. And yeah, then I started mine in 2014. And I thought, well, like maybe one day it'll it'll be a book. Um, I work in publishing. So okay, you know, I, that had always been in the back of my mind. Okay. <laughs> I want a book too. <laughs> so, um, so I have, well, I do a lot of fermentation, which is very simple it sounds it, it it can sound intimidating and people are always worried oh i'm gonna make myself sick or poison mm-hmm. my family mm-hmm. but it's very safe because the good bacteria crowd out any bad bacteria that get into the food and mm-hmm. and the bad bacteria can't survive in the acidic environment of fermented food so when i started all of this i started fermenting more i had always made yogurt but okay. I didn't realize, I didn't realize what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I was fermenting milk. I just knew if I heated up milk and took yogurt from a previous batch and put it in the next mm-hmm. day, I'd have more yogurt. So hmm. that sounds too easy. No, I know. Wait, say no, what? That, <laughs> yeah. You, you take milk and you heat it up. It's in my book. You heat, uh, you heat it up to, I think it's, you know, I don't know exactly the temperature, but oh, until it's just about bubbling around the edge of the pan, you don't want to scald the milk. Okay. So you, and I forget what temperature that is when you do that, but anyway, you do that, you turn off the heat Mm -hmm. and then you let it cool a little bit. And then you add a bit of yogurt from the previous batch. You stir it up Mm -hmm. and just put the pot. You can either keep it all in the pot or you can distribute it into jars. Okay but put it in a warm spot overnight. So that could be your microwave with the door ajar. Okay. The light in the microwave will be warm enough. Uh-huh. And then the next day you have yogurt. Hmm. So, yeah. so for somebody who's never made yogurt before and they're listening to this and they're like, you know what, maybe I'll give this a try. Do they go and purchase some sort of yogurt from the grocery store that they bring home to get started? How do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you need yogurt. It's like, it's like, uh, you need money to make money. Yeah. You need yogurt to make yogurt. Okay. So, so is you there, do it, need, 
Is there a particular brand or a type of yogurt that they should be looking for to ensure as clean as possible as a starter? Yeah, yeah. Get get a good quality fat yogurt. The Don't full get fat, fat. grass-fed. Yeah, full fat. Yeah, yeah. If you can find full fat grass-fed, plain. get really plain. Don't get fruit bottom. <laughs> People don't, don't realize bottom. people do not realize how terrible store-bought yogurt is for them. You know, when they're buying the little Dannon and yogurt, yo, yo play, uh, it, it's literally just chemicals and sugar and some food dyes mixed into this little plastic container. Yeah. Yeah. As a dietitian, you must just, you must just shudder. When you walk through a grocery store. Well, you know, it's funny because I just had a conversation with a group of individuals yesterday and they asked me, they said, you know, what do you think about the grocery store? And I said, to be perfectly honest with you, the grocery store is terrible. You don't find much at the grocery store that is actually good for you. So I, I'm really big advocate for trying to shop local shop, shop, you know, farmers markets. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there supplement with what I can't find at either a local butcher or the farmer's market or whatnot. Um, but yeah, there's not much in the grocery store that is actually good for you. And people don't realize that these food manufacturers, they're paying the grocery stores to place their products very intentionally to entice the consumer to pick it up and put it in their cart. And more often than less, the, you know, the, the more name brand something is, the more their brand recognition, the higher the sugar, the higher the salt. These are not things that are necessarily good for us. So I always encourage shop generic, look at the generic versions of things, you know, because they tend to, to be a little bit better, but yes, I do shudder. (laughs) It's like, uh, it's a challenge. So let me ask you this. Do you have a, do you, uh, do you use animals? Like, do you cook with eggs? And I know you mentioned, um, yogurt, but do you use other animal products as well? Yeah. I mean, technically I'm an omnivore. Okay. But I, I don't eat much meat. Um, and I'm really, I'm just a, a very picky omnivore. Okay. So if I could get meat from rotationally grazed animals that stay on one farm, Mm -hmm. you know, and have one bad day, Mm -hmm. I I will eat that. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's really hard to find eggs. We, yeah, absolutely eat eggs. I get them at the farmer's market and I pay through the nose and I'm happy to do so because those are happy hens. Yeah. So can I ask you what, what is the cost for the eggs that you get at the farmer's market? I typically pay $14.99, I believe for a 30 pack of the farm rate. Oh, 30. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm, I, I'm in Silicon Valley. Okay. It's very, everything is very expensive here. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. So mine, mine are a little bit more what you said you get 30. Yeah. 30 for 1499. So I'm in Southern California. I'm on the, the opposite end of you. Oh, and okay. most of the eggs are coming from the central Valley areas where a lot of the farmers come down and, oh, okay. and set up the markets. Yeah. Mine are, they're $10 a dozen. Okay. All right. So that's, I think so ours similar. are like seven ninety nine a dozen or eight ninety nine. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty, um, pretty comparable. Yeah, it depends. So that there's this one booth I love to go to, um, but they no longer go to the farmer's market. I usually shop at okay. there's another one that I go to less often. Okay. So that, yeah. They stopped going to the one here where I live just, uh, because of the parking situation. Okay. Anyway, their eggs are so nice. They're $8 a dozen. You crack them open and they're orange. Oh, isn't it beautiful? The yolk is orange. Yeah. The flavor. I mean, just everything about it, knowing how nutritionally dense that egg is. I personally am a huge advocate for eggs. When I did my graduate program, um, I did a whole research project on eggs because eggs had been so villainized over the last many decades. And I was like, you know, 
I'm just not buying this. There, there's got to be some sort of propaganda behind all of these mm. recommendations, you know, and, and naturally the cereal, you know, we won't name all of the big manufacturers, but they kind of villainized and made consumers think wow. that eating their breakfast of eggs and bacon was problematic. And we can look back at our earlier generations, our grandparents and our mothers and fathers. And this, these were the staples that they grew up on. And we didn't have the prevalence of diabetes and cardiovascular disease and metabolic syndrome and obesity and all of the things. But once we transition to breakfast cereals and pancakes and toaster strudels and pop tarts and instant yeah. oatmeal, you know, Oh, gee, right. just, just pasty, highly processed carbs. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so back to the, back to the listener who's kind of interested and we've really piqued their, you know, curiosity around sustainability and where they can start taking some responsibility for themselves, not only improving their health, but also reducing their their grocery bill, which with inflation yeah. is just outrageous. That's true. That's true. I so, mean, yeah, it's crazy. So what are some tips that you can give to the listeners on how to get started with reducing their waste, being more sustainable, not only for their own budget and their own homes, but also contributing to the environment in a positive way? Well, I would say start small don't don't think you're going to overhaul your entire lifestyle overnight you'll you'll just go crazy and mm -hmm. and that that won't be fun it'll be very frustrating so start with the easy stuff so if you buy bottled water mm -hmm. just stop buying bottled water you're mm -hmm. paying a huge premium for filtered tap water the plastic bottles shed microplastic into the water. So you're consuming more microplastic. So that something like that would be an easy switch. If you drink soda, you know, try to drink more water mm -hmm. instead of soda. Really make water your drink of choice would be, that would cut all kinds of packaging. It would improve your health and you'd save a small fortune. I mean, Absolutely. if you're a big, if you're a big soda drinker or yeah sports drinks or whatever, or even that, that hint water. Mm -hmm. It makes me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much plastic packaging. If you want, you know, take a lemon and squeeze it into your water mm -hmm. and then you'll have actual real lemon in there and it will cost nothing. Absolutely. So yeah. So that's a simple one. Mm -hmm. Maybe make water your drink of choice. Absolutely. And the reality is, is that most of the population is dehydrated because they are consuming, you know, coffee and energy drinks and soda. These, these beverages are diuretics and many of them have additional added sugar, which is another diuretic. And so most of the population is pretty darn dehydrated. They confuse their dehydration thinking that it's actually hunger. <laughs> and mm. so it's just contributing to a really, you know, unfortunate negative feedback loop, um, keeping the body out of its natural rhythm. So I agree with you. I think water is a great place to start. My recommendation for individuals is to try and get their hands on mountain spring water, if possible, take your glass jugs up. I know, mm. you know, you're near Mount Shasta isn't too far from you. You've got access to fabulous mountain water that is absolutely delicious and naturally contains all 200 of those minerals that our body is dependent upon that we're not getting from our foods due to, you know, soil detrigation and mostly filtered tap water being drank. So we're in desperate need. Mm. Well, great. Yeah. I've had last time I went to Yosemite, this is pre COVID a while ago. I mm -hmm. had filtered water right out of the, this lake where we Ooh, were. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. You can buy like a little pump thing and my friend had one and yeah. Do, do you do a lot of camping? No, no. Uh, I'd like to, 
Um, when my daughter gets back from university, my younger daughter in the spring, I know she'd love to go camping. So maybe we can do that this summer. Yeah. I'd love to be a little fly on the wall and see what your camping set up and, and preparation, especially around cooking the meal would look like. Oh yeah. Well, gee, just, it just takes extra planning. Yeah. Yeah. Last time, one thing I do when I do go camping before I go, I put, fill my stainless steel bowls with water Mm -hmm. and make giant ice cubes for my cooler. Oh. And the big giant ice cubes, they stay, they stay cold longer. Yeah. They take a lot longer to melt. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to buy those plastic bags of ice. Yeah. That's such a great tip. That's a fabulous yeah. tip. Yeah. I yeah. Like you just that. have to think ahead, do it started. Yeah. I don't know, like a week before you go, because mm-hmm. it'll take a couple of days for the ice to freeze, but love it. I love it. Such a great tip. That is fabulous. So besides your cookbook, what are some other fabulous favorite resources you have for the listener to get started on their sustainable zero waste journey? Uh, Sustainable zero waste journey? Uh, Yeah, let's see. Um, I mean, there, there, there are tons of them out there. So for Um, you, well, then let's, let's simplify this. Okay. For your kitchen. For you specifically, mm-hmm. what are five absolute necessities that every individual needs to get started on their journey? Okay. You need one good knife. One good knife. Yeah. To, to chop vegetables. You don't need a big, huge, fancy set of knives. Mm-hmm. Just one, one good chef's knife. That's a must. Um, and you need a cutting board. Mm-hmm. I'd get a wooden one, you know, wood or bamboo or something, just, just not plastic. Yeah. Avoid the plastic. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Gotta have those lots of jars. Jars. So jars are something that could potentially be, um, recycled out of the convenient foods that they're maybe utilizing right sure. now, like the spaghetti sauce or, you yep. know, the pickles or whatever that yep. might be. So just starting to hoard those. Oh yeah. And- start to hoard those. Um, mm-hmm. I use jars to, I freeze food in jars. I so use I. wide mouth jars. So mm-hmm. last week I made a giant vat of soup. It uh-huh. was the end of the week. And I thought, oh, I better use these vegetables up. I made a big vat, and I thought, okay. Um, you know, we, I don't mind eating it over and over and over. But- I'm the same way. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, I have zero issues with making three to four different options throughout a week and eating the same thing over and over. Um, typically it's two to three, if I'm being very honest. So usually it's more like two to three variations and, uh, just rotating those out throughout the week until they're gone. And sometimes by the end of the week, maybe there's one or two servings of something. And I'm just like, eh, I'm, I'm kind of over it. I will take that and put that into a glass jar and then throw it in the freezer for later times when I just, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that now, so I made this giant pot of soup. I have three jars in the freezer now. So that's fabulous. if I'm really tired, I can just yeah. pull that out. So, but yeah, jars and for fermenting food and mm-hmm. for, uh, just when you're out and about, it's mm-hmm. nice to have a jar in your bag. You can put your compost in it mm-hmm. or I don't know if you forget your water bottle, you can drink water out of a jar Absolutely. and then I just posted on my blog this morning. Uh, the post is something like um, 13 tips for plastic free gardening on the cheap. I think nice. that was it. So I grew some kale outside and I was so excited because it was coming along and it was had all these leaves on it. It looked so good. And the leaves were maybe like getting an inch long. And I went out one morning and they were all gone, all the leaves, just these little stumps something ate them all. Um, but they still had a little bit of growth coming out of the bottom. So I put glass jars over them Ah. to protect them from the cold and from whatever ate them. Mm -hmm. And now, now they're doing really well. Now I have some kale doing really well and some parsley doing really well. Um, I have one little broccoli, um, coming up. So I never put jars over them. 
So I found another use for jars. That's fabulous. Just, yeah. So you've got to have lots of jars. I love that. So we've yeah. got knives. We've got a cutting board, preferably wood jars. Give us two more things. Two more things that you can't live without. Mm. What do I use all the time in my kitchen? What's that um, thing you showed us earlier that was sitting next to you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cloth produce bags. Yeah. yeah like I, nothing super high tech. Now, the great thing with these two, when I buy greens at mm-hmm. the farmer's market mm-hmm. and I bring them home, if I don't do anything with them, then the next day they're going to be kind of limp. Right. So what I do when I get them home is I cut them up uh-huh. into kind of big not quite bite-sized pieces, although I could do bite-sized pieces, but I'm in a hurry. So I just kind of chop them smaller and I wash them and I put them in a bag, a clean bag, and I take it outside and I twirl it around and it wicks away the water. I love that. And then I, I put that in my crisper and mm-hmm. it's just like having bagged greens. I love that. You just reach in and you take them out and they stay fresh for a really long time. So yeah, these, I mean, and you can use a bag like this for, uh, I don't know, packing a, a sandwich, not a juicy mm-hmm. sandwich, yeah, <laughs> but like a cheese, a cheese sandwich or something. Right. Anyway, so yeah, I use, and for storing, you know, I have a, a loaf of sourdough bread in the freezer right now, mm-hmm. a whole loaf frozen mm-hmm. in a cloth bag. Okay. Um, yeah. Sourdough freezes really, freezes really well whole. Okay. I don't cut it up because um, if I use plastic it would be fine but I don't want to use plastic yeah so I'm totally I've got four now <laughs> the fifth, well, fifth thing I can't live without in my in my kitchen uh you don't have to have a kitchen scale although if you're going to do some serious baking for sourdough it is nice to, that's a nice to have it's mm-hmm. not a must-have yeah um I mean a, a nice set of of stainless steel mixing bowls or glass mixing bowls mm-hmm. Yeah, I use those all the time. I think those are some great tips. Fabulous tips and all of them are universal. You know, it doesn't require a lot of uh, financial commitment to purchasing a few really good quality tools that are going to last a really, really long time. I still have my original cutting knife that I purchased when I started my, you know, uh, pursuit to become a dietitian and took my first food science class. And I still have that knife and it's been decades now and, you know, just sharpen it every once in a while. And then it's good to go. Well, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's worth it to, to spend a little money, a little bit of money on a a good tool that will last. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it has been such a pleasure to have an opportunity to chat with you this afternoon and really, you know, pick your brain and kind of get some ideas going on how we can be more sustainable and reduce our waste in the kitchen, because it is such a prevalent problem. Um, we can all be doing better. So how can the audience find you? Uh, well, my website is zero with zero spelled out. And I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at zero so those, those main places, I have a newsletter also, but you okay. can, you can sign up for that through my website if you, if you, if you want to do that. And, uh, I, th- I think that's everything. It feels like I have a bunch of, uh, <laughs> I have a bunch of plates spinning. Yeah. <laughs> but those, are the, those are the main ones. Okay. So yeah. anything new, do you have anything new coming up that you're excited to be working on? Um, well, in January for the whole month, I wrote a newsletter a day. Mm-hmm. It was 30 days of climate action. Ooh. And so it gave, yeah, uh, you can get to that through my blog. It's a Substack newsletter. And okay. um, yeah, that, that was great. It was exhausting. Uh-huh. <laughs> writing a newsletter every day. And I, I refer back to them all the time because I referred back to one in today's blog post and mm-hmm. I read it and thought, how did I write something like one of these every day? Cause, um, but anyway, I was just like possessed. Yeah. I would roll out of bed in the morning and I would just start writing. 
It's amazing when you're passionate about something where, you know, the drive and the energy comes from to create that and turn it into something that others can utilize for their own benefit. And the beautiful thing about it is that it's something that will be alive forever. It will be there waiting for, you know, future generations to come to utilize and take advantage of. I have mad respect for you, lady. I think that what you're doing is so important. You truly are an inspiration. You inspire me. I love following you and just seeing all of your tips and all of your tricks. I think that what you have to offer the world is a beautiful gift and everyone would benefit from um, just heading over and, you know, checking out your website or following you on one of the social media outlets. Cause what you're doing is, is important work. And it's the way of the future. If we want to be around for future generations. Well, thanks Heather. Thanks for joining us on the think yourself healthy podcast. Make sure you leave a review and let me know what you think. I love reading your feedback. Come hang out with me on Instagram at Heather Duranja. And don't forget to take a screenshot that you're listening to the podcast and tag me. I love to share it. See you on the next episode.